Well, good morning. I want to echo what Dad said there at the beginning. We're so glad all of you are here. If you're visiting with us, so glad you're here. I know some are probably traveling for the holidays. We may be missing some. We may have some visitors here for the holidays. So we're glad you're here. Thank you for being here this morning. I have to draw your attention to tonight. I know it'll probably be announced in a minute, but tonight is our annual Thanksgiving Song Fest. Always an amazing time to gather with literally hundreds of other believers from the area and even beyond. People from Florida and Mississippi are coming over, most likely, and so really hope you'll be here to sing praises to God for an hour and a half. That's all we're going to do. A lot of different song leaders are going to lead singing. I love this time of year where we get together and just sing praises as we kick off the Thanksgiving holiday season, and we're just, we're just looking really forward to this event tonight. So hopefully you can be here tonight at 6 p.m. for Thanksgiving Songfest. Last week, David gave just an outstanding lesson on faith, and he looked into three different things with faith. Number one, faith involves evidence. It's not just a shot in the dark. We, we have evidence for God's existence and for the fact that Jesus is God's son, and David looked into that evidence. But he also looked into the fact that faith involves trust and obedience. Taking God at his word, believing that he's going to do what he says he's going to do and leaning on that, and also obeying him, doing what he says in his word. It was just a great lesson on faith last week. And I started thinking, why not continue that discussion on faith? Because we've been looking at fundamental doctrines of Christianity all year long. And what's more fundamental than faith? Right? Faith is really where it all begins uh, for us as Christians. Belief in God and in his son. And so I thought about just let's continue talking about that. David pointed to this verse, Hebrews eleven six, 6, last week multiple times. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. It's not just hard to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So clearly this is important. It's something that we, we must have in order to please God. Very important principle of faith. And again, David delivered a great lesson last week about faith. This morning, I want us to consider faith and works. Faith and works. And we're going to be in the book of James. This is James chapter 2. And I do want to say, in, in terms of uh, you know, how church history, people have kind of had uh, disagreements about this, this section of scripture we're going to read. There's even been, might I say, some division upon this. And we're going to look at that here in a minute. But what I want to do before we get to that is just look at exactly what James says. What does James say in the text? Let's just pull it out as easily as possible, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. We're going to break this up into four different uh, sections here. The first section, faith without works is dead. Now, this is kind of the catchphrase in this section of Scripture. He's going to say something like faith without works is dead over and over. But it's very clear in this first section, verses 14 to 17 because he gives us a clear example of faith without works here's what it says what use is it my brethren if someone says he has faith but he has no works can that faith save him if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and be filled and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body what use is that even so faith if it has no works is dead being by itself James starts out by asking two rhetorical questions. The answer is implied, and it's, the answer is expected to be in the negative. What use is it 
if someone has faith without works? Well, the answer is there's no use for that. And can that faith save him? Again, the answer is no. If someone has faith but no works, there's no use for that. And so in essence, he's saying, let me give you an example of this. Let me give you an example of what I mean, guys. And so he gives an example of a brother or sister in Christ who's lacking clothing and daily food. Now, pause there for a second. If somebody's lacking clothing and food, they're really in need, right? Clothing and food are basic necessities of life that every single one of us needs to, to just live, to, to make it through this life. We need clothing and we need food to sustain ourselves. And, and James gives an example of somebody who has, does not have these things or has them in little supply. They're in great need. And he says, imagine you see somebody like that. Put yourself in, in, in this example. Imagine you see somebody like that. And imagine you just say, well, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, but don't give them anything. What does that do? Well, you haven't done anything to alleviate that person's need, to, to alleviate the pain they're feeling and the struggle that they're in. The words are really just empty words. Even if, even if it was meant that, hey, go in peace and, and be warmed and be filled, even if you really meant that, it doesn't meet that person's need. I, David Roper in his commentary put it this way. He said, your words don't wrap that person in a blanket. Your words don't wrap that person in a jacket or give them a meal or, or give them a place to stay, right? Those words are just words. They don't go any further to actually help that person out. And so James is saying, that's, that's a dead faith, a faith that has no works, that's just really talk, but no action. It's empty. There's no substance to it. So he says, so faith, if it has no works, if it's by itself, it's dead. So consider the other side. That's a dead faith that doesn't do anything, that doesn't act for that person in need. But the other side, a living faith, a faith that's alive, is a faith that says, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. Here's a jacket. Here, here's a blanket. Here's a place to stay for the night. Here's some food. It goes beyond just, hey, I wish you well. It shows them that you wish them well. That's what a living faith does. It's active. And just, just think about the words, living and dead. Something that's dead is not going to be active. Something that's living can be active and should be active. And James is saying, faith without works, it's dead. But faith with works, that's the living faith. And that's what James is going to talk about here is having faith and works together. So that's where he starts. Faith without works is dead. But secondly... James says, belief alone is not enough. Look at James 2, 18 to 20. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? You see in, in my text here, this is the New American Standard Bible, that there's quotation marks around uh, the first part there. Uh, it seems like in different translations, the quotation marks are in different places because in the Greek, in the original text, there are no quotation marks. So translators are kind of left to 
try to put together where does this quotation that James is talking about, someone may well say, where does that end, you know? Well, mine takes it to the end of verse 18. Yours may differ here. But what James is trying to do is basically say, hey, someone might say something like this about faith and works. Or maybe somebody has said something like this. And it seems that his point is people are trying to separate faith and works. Show me your faith without the works is what it says there. And, and the point I think he's saying is you can't do that. You can't show someone your faith without works. Because our faith is evidenced by our works. And so he gives an example of the demons. He's like, hey, you believe. You believe in God. That's, that's great. But guess what? Even the demons believe. And they shudder. Folks, demons believe that God is real, that God exists. And we can take this even a step further, that demons believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Recall back in the Gospels, at least on a few occasions, Jesus encounters some demons, some demon-possessed people, that is, and the demons accurately recognize who he is. They call him the Son of God, and he silences them. They, they believe in God. They believe that, that Jesus is God's Son. Do demons have a pleasing faith in God's sight? Absolutely not. Because the demon's belief or faith is just sheer recognition that God exists. It's mere mental assent, in other words. There's no action for God. There's no obedient obedience for God on the part of demons, right? And, and, other, and really, demons are, are doing the opposite of what God wants, right? And so Jane's example is, Hey, you, you believe? Hey, well, so do the demons. And they actually shudder. They're, they're afraid when they think about God. And so he's, he's trying to say, again, faith without works, it's, it's useless. That it's good to believe. That, that's a good place to start. But at some point it has to translate to more, to action. Folks, there are a lot of people, sincere people, who believe that God exists that Jesus is God's son. But that's where it stops. There's nothing, there's nothing more there. Like Ross was saying in his prayer about helping us, help us live for you, God. Help us obey you, God. People believe in, in God. People believe in Jesus. But that's where it stops for many people. And what James is saying is belief, that's important. But even the demons believe. And they definitely don't have a pleasing faith to God, right? Because they don't have the works accompanying that belief, the works accompanying that faith. And so James is saying, belief alone, it's not enough. There has to be action tied with that belief, a change in life because of your belief in Jesus Christ. So that's the second point. Then he starts getting, getting into examples. He gets into some clear examples. Number one, the example of Abraham. And then he gets into another example. But let's read what he says about Abraham, verses 21 to 24. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Many of us are probably familiar with this story of Abraham and Isaac, right? God had promised Abraham to make him a, a great nation. And it, at one point, he said he's going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, remember? 
But the problem was Abraham didn't have any children. And him and Sarah, they, they couldn't have children. Sarah was barren. And they were past that age to bear children. But God, God did the impossible and gave them a child of promise, Isaac. But God eventually tells Abraham to offer his son, Isaac, on the altar. Now at that point, Abraham had a choice. Am I going to listen to God and do what he says? Or am I just going to do my own thing? Am I going to walk away from all this? Well, you know the story. Abraham got everything ready. He got the supplies ready. He gathered his servants up. And they went on to the land of Moriah. And he, they went up on the mountain, him and Isaac. He tied him up. He laid him on the altar. He was about to slay his son until he was stopped by the angel. And they, another sacrifice was provided. You see, Abraham did something, folks. His belief in God propelled him to listen to what God said. To actually gather all the stuff up and actually bind Isaac up and put him on that altar. He actually did what God said. He followed through with God's instructions, even though it was hard, even though it was very difficult and maybe didn't make sense to Abraham. He still did it. And the book of Hebrews actually tells us that he believed God was even able to raise Isaac back from the dead. Had he carried through with that, he believed that God could raise Isaac back. And so you see, Abraham, his faith was perfected by his works. And because he showed his faith by, by believing God and showing that by what he did, following God's commands, he was reckoned as righteous. And he was called a friend of God. Now consider the opposite. Consider the other side of this, this coin. If Abraham, if God came to Abraham and said, hey, offer your son Isaac on the altar. And he said, I just can't do that, God. In fact, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. It's too hard for me. We probably wouldn't be talking about Abraham like we are right now. Because he wouldn't have showed his faith by his works in that, in that example. But the fact of the matter is he did. He followed through. And his faith was perfected by those works, by following what God said. And he was called that friend of God and reckoned as righteous. So James is saying, look, our father Abraham, he was justified by his faith working with his works. That's his first example. And then now he gives another example, the example of Rahab. Rahab. In verse uh, 25, he says, In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. He gives them one more example here of Rahab. This is a Gentile, not an, not an Israelite, not, there, not like somebody like the father Abraham. This is Rahab. And you'll remember the story of Jericho where the people marched around the city and eventually the walls fell well, before that time, spies were sent into Jericho to spy out the land, right? Rahab received those spies, hid them, and let them out safely. She showed her faith by hiding those spies, by keeping them safe, by letting them out. And, and you see in the text that she believes that God is going to do something to the people in Jericho. And she's like, remember me for what I've done. Keep me safe. And they make this oath because Rahab had kept them safe that she was going to be safe and her family was going to be safe when Jericho was destroyed. And again, he's just giving the example. Rahab did something. She had works tied to that belief that God was going to do something. She hid those spies. She, she let them out safely. Now again, consider the other side of the coin. If those spies came to her and she said, hey guys, I've got them over here. 
these guys are spying out our land. Come get them. Or if she did something else to harm those spies, we wouldn't be talking about her like we are today, right? But her faith in in God, believing that God was going to do something to Jericho, was borne out in the way that she hid those spies, her actions, doing something. And so James reiterates one last time, just like our bodies without our spirits are dead, faith without works is dead. The message that James is trying to get us to understand is that faith has to have works. Works must accompany our faith for it to be real, genuine, living faith. He actually introduced this in chapter 1, James 1, verse 22. He says this, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. What's James saying? It's so important for us to hear the word of God. That's what we're doing right now. That's what we'll do in Bible class here in a little bit. And that's what we do when we open our Bibles and study them. We're hearing God's word. But at some point, the hearing has to translate into doing. We can't just take these things and and hold them inside, right? At some point, the things that we talk about, the things that we study, the things that we read in God's word, they have to start being practiced in our lives. We have to do this beyond these walls here. And again, we have many people who get up in the pulpit and they pray something like, Lord, help us apply what we've heard to our daily lives. What are they saying? They're, they're basically saying what James is saying. God, help us not just keep in the words that we're hearing, but help us live them out in this world. Help us be that light that's shining in the darkness. And that's all that James is saying, is that faith is living and active. It's engaged in good deeds and good works, doing good things following God's commands. Are we going to be perfect? No, we're not. We're going to slip up, but we're going to try our best to live out God's word every single day. And that's all James is saying, that your faith propels you to work, do good things for God. Now, this is the other part of it. A lot of people have had a problem with James' words. And what they say is James contradicts other parts of scripture, particularly the apostle Paul. People say, well, hey, James emphasized works where where Paul says works are not a part of salvation or not not a part of of, of being saved. And so they say that they contradict. Let let me just show you uh, what what some people will point out. They'll point to passages like Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, where Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's pretty clear. Paul says that salvation is a gift from God. It's not a result of works. And Paul says it's not a result of works because you know what? If it was based on works, you know what we'd do? We'd boast about that. We'd say, hey, look what I've done to earn my salvation over here. I did this good thing or I did that good thing. And now I've I've got my spot in heaven. And Paul says, no, that's not how it works. You're not saved because of your works. There's no good deed that you could do to earn your salvation. It's a, it's a free gift from God. It's because of his grace that you can be saved. It's a gift of salvation that God ha- has given us, not a result of works. So some people say, well, hold on a second. Paul says it's not a result of works, but James seems to say that works are involved here. So, so what's, the, what, what's the way to reconcile this? Folks, there is no contradiction in fact, if James and Paul were here today giving a lesson, I, I, believe, I know they would, they would agree on this. They would say the exact same things. 
Look what James says in James 2, 24. He says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Notice James never says, you're saved by your works and by your works alone. And you're earning your salvation when you do these works. That's not what James says. He couples faith and works together. What James is trying to get us to understand is that either of these alone are not right. It's faith and works together that we place our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we work. We do good works. We're saved not because of anything that we do, folks. There's no good deed or good action we could do to earn our spot in heaven. It's only because of what Jesus Christ did for us that we can be saved. Jesus Christ did what we couldn't do. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried, but then he defeated death by rising from the grave. And that's why we can be saved, only because of what Jesus did. And we, when we place our faith in that, that's where salvation comes. But James is saying, works have to follow that. Works have to follow because you've been saved, because you've been given this salvation by God. Works must accompany that faith. It's not, it's not like you're earning it. It's because I've been saved, I'm going to work, and I'm going to do what God has said. Look at a couple of quotes. I really like what Tim Schreiner says. It isn't as if our works save or justify in the sense that they qualify us to enter God's presence, as if our virtue wins us God's favor on the last day. James teaches that there is an organic relationship between genuine faith and works. If we truly trust Christ, that trust shows up in how we live. Works evidence our faith. I really like how he put this, that there's an organic relationship between genuine faith and works. In other words, our faith, the natural response to, to the, the faith in Jesus Christ is, I want to follow what he says. I want to do what he says. I want to be pleasing to him. So I'm going to do these good works. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to serve people in love. I'm going to not be selfish and so on and so forth because I've been saved, because I've placed my faith in Jesus. It's not as if our works earn us that spot in heaven. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us salvation. And that faith propels us to do good works. It shows up, that trust in Jesus Christ shows up in how we live. The, the works are the evidence that our faith is, is real. Uh, Kyle Rye, a former preacher at uh, Scenic Hills Church of Christ in Pensacola said this, when James wrote his letter, he was focused on faith and he was particularly concerned with discussing how faith is evidenced. James was not saying that works earn salvation, but that works serve as evidence of a saving faith. James is saying that works are the result of a saving faith rather than the replacement of a saving faith. I like, I like how he put that. He's not saying, hey, put works instead of faith, y'all. That's what you need to do. No, he's saying faith alone is not enough. We have to have works that back up that faith. Again, it's because I've been saved, because I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to live for him. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to obey him. It's because of what Jesus did that we can be saved. And because of that, we're propelled into service for him, into doing good works. It's not that our works save us, but it's that works accompany faith. James says it. It's, we're justified by works and not by faith alone. It's faith and works together that are pleasing to God. So, 
What I found really interesting about this is that that passage where Paul says in Ephesians 2, by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not your doing, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. The very next verse, Paul talks about works. Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. David gave a lesson uh, a couple months ago, and I believe the title was Saved to Serve. His whole point in that lesson is, we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of his sacrifice, because of him going to that cross, bearing our sins, and rising from that grave, that's why we can be saved. But that salvation that we find leads us to these good works. We're saved to serve. We've been saved to do good works. Again, the salvation that Jesus Christ has given us, it propels us to do good works. The good works are evidence that we are saved, that we want to listen to Jesus Christ, that we want to follow him because he's our Lord and we placed our faith and trust in him. And that's what Paul is saying, that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We've been saved to serve. We're not saved because of our serving, but saved to serve. We've been saved by Jesus Christ, and because of that, we serve him. We do good works for him. I want to look at a couple other passages, and then we're going to wrap up here. Paul talks about works in many other spots. I'm not going to dive into these verses. I just want you to see that Paul was not opposed to works. He knew that works were important. Look what he says in, in a couple of passages. For the grace of God, notice the grace of God, that unmerited favor, even though we didn't deserve the forgiveness, God gave it to us. God's, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Zealous for good deeds. We've been justified and we've been changed from lawless deeds to living sensibly and righteously. And that's because of God's grace. And we're zealous to do what he wants us to do. Titus 3 verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Those who have believed in God will be careful, careful to engage in good deeds. And then finally, Galatians 6.10. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who have the household of faith. Paul was not opposed to good works. He taught accurately and rightly that we are saved by Jesus Christ and by God's grace. It's a gift that he's giving us, but works must accompany. Works must accompany our faith. They must follow someone who's been saved. We must do good to all. We must try to live sensibly and righteously in this present age. We must be zealous for good works, Paul says. He wasn't opposed to works. He just, he, he just taught, hey, exactly what James is teaching. Works follow someone who's been saved, who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So what about you and my faith? Has it been a living faith, a faith that is active and zealous for good works? Or has the faith been dead? Has the faith been all talk and no action? And that's what I'm trying to get at this morning, is to help us see that faith, true living faith, acts. 
It does things for God and for fellow man. I found a, um, an illustration. I'm just going to read straight from this excerpt that I found from a preacher. And this is where we'll end by a man named John Stevenson. He says this, A man came into my office one day with a soft drink can that he had purchased from the soda machine outside. He had put his money into the machine and had made his selection and was awarded with this can. As he showed it to me, it looked perfectly normal. The writing on the side of the can said that it contained Pepsi. The tab was still in place showing that it was yet unopened. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the can, but when he handed it to me, I could tell by the weight that there was nothing in it. Instead of, the, instead of the swish of the liquid of the soft drink, I could feel that it was empty. An empty soft can, a, 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 an empty soft drink can is no great tragedy. But I've often wondered how many folks who claim to be Christians are like that can. They have the right label. They go to church where they sing the hymns and they listen to a sermon. But they're really just empty cans with a colorful label. There's no life in them. And this is the problem with which James deals in this passage. It's the problem of inward emptiness. It's the problem of faith without works. Folks, what kind of faith do you have? Is it a faith without works? That, that the empty faith, like this empty can? It had the right label. It had, it had all the makings of being a soda, but it really was empty. Or is your faith a living and active faith? that is engaged in good deeds, that is helping other people because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Is that where your faith is this morning? Let's not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. What we're doing here is so very important. We have to gather, we have to worship with one another to, to please our God, but we have to take what we've learned and what we study and apply it to our lives and engage in good works. Have that living faith that God desires. What kind of faith do you have this morning? If you've been struggling in your faith and you feel like you haven't been engaging in the good deeds, you haven't had the active living faith, we want you to come forward. We want to help you. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and, and had his blood wash you, and there's no better time than right now to come forward as we stand and as we sing.